This episode of See Here, we're working in the Kremlin with a two-headed dog. See here, episode number 16. Number 16! What a milestone! Holy shit! Whoa! How the hell did we get there? You're so old. Oh, good lord. (laughs) You're listening to See Here. This is the music film discussion podcast, if it's your first time. If you're back for your 16th time, well, we're absolutely gratified that you've stuck with us this long, and we hope that you'll stick with us for another 16 episodes, and even longer if we make it past 32. My name is Morris. I'm based in Melbourne, Australia, and also on this show is Mr. Bernard Stickwell, and he's based in Bath in England. Hello, Bernie. Hello. Hello, everybody. And Mr. Tim Merrill, he's based in Seoul in South Korea. Good evening, Tim. Howdy, howdy. And we are missing Miss Wendy Freeman, who normally records from Chicago in the United States, but she's off at, I don't know, what's she doing this time? She's at a comic convention. I was going to make a crack about um, George Eastman, but we've done that. It's the big uh, Chicago C2E2 convention this weekend, I think. So, um, yeah, she's not going to miss that. It's like comic book heaven, so... You're trying to tell me that's more important than chatting with her crew? Well, obviously for me and Tim it isn't, but for Wendy, well, you know, actions speak louder than words, don't they? Anyway, the three of us have decided that we are going to carry on and uh, record See Here episode 16 for you. Have I mentioned that yet? And this time we are doing the very first request that we've had from a, uh, a listener at the beginning of the year. I put out a note on the See Here Facebook page asking uh, the members on the Facebook page and hopefully our listeners what films they would like to have us speak about. And we said we'd take four. So, you know, between the four of us, we get eight choices and we let the listeners uh, have four choices. And this time around, Mr. James Curley, hope you're listening, James. This is your show. He came up with the uh, documentary about one Mr. Rocky Erickson of the 13th Floor Elevators and other bands. And the documentary is called You're Gonna Miss Me. I live together with my family in an old house. I have a big family. I have lots of baby brothers and sisters all over the house crying, screaming, crawling, and playing in dangerous areas. I started thinking that maybe there could be weird things that could lay dormant. So I tried to think what these things could be. To this day, Rocky Erickson stands alone because he had the gift of that wonderful voice. You want to write his music? He wanted to play his music, and that's all. He could produce music without effort. It just poured out. Anyone who tried to have a conversation with him understood that he was not of this world. <laughs> now, I've gone through three changes. I thought I was a Christian, then I was with the devil, and then the third one where I know who I am. You know, I feel like I'm an alien. He's just this mysterious figure. You know, Whatever happened, he's the great lost vocalist of rock and roll. You know, in the old days, they'd take him out and hang him. But in modern-day times, send him to Rusk. Say he's crazy. He said, if I could just stop all the damn noise that's in my head, I would be so happy. 
Then I got to thinking that maybe something had happened, something that they couldn't talk about. What's happening? Oh my God. Goodbye, sweet dreams. For the past 12 years now, he just has this little bit of human contact with his mom, and that was it. I promised God that I would give him all my sons. She's yeah. trying to pick whoever's going to be around Rocky. I'm not stopping anybody. People don't have to hate me. None of us really had a family. I've been struggling to make sure that I stay out of the nut house. We can give him whatever medication. It is not going to make his schizophrenia go away. Goodbye, sweet dreams. We have a broken family that needs to get back together. My brother should not be living in poverty. I want to give Rocky back his music. Goodbye, sweet dreams. <laughs> so uh, we thank you, James, for making that suggestion. We've taken that on board. We've all watched it. And I believe we have plenty to speak about. So uh, what do you reckon, guys? Should we get straight into it? Go ahead. That's... That's... All right. Okay. So for those of you out there who um, are unfamiliar with the name, and I'm sure most of you are, but basically Rocky Erickson started out as the lead singer of a band called the 13th Floor Elevators in the mid-60s. And this film, it's sort of like a fly-on-the-wall account of time from the late 90s. I think 1998 is when the film... Kevin McAllister, who's the director of this film, may have started making it in 1998 but the film didn't come out until 2005 and it talks about Rocky who is in shall we say and as most of the show will go on in a fragile state of health and the documentary tells us how he got to be in this fragile state of health and the sequence of events and it's like one of those sorts of films where I'm sure the director went in expecting to do one type of film and ended up with something very, very different, which probably made it all the more interesting for him. But that's as we go on. So we've got plenty to talk about. This is a film about all sorts of things. Fragile mental health, musical genius. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you guys how you came about becoming familiar with Rocky Erickson. For me, it was probably uh, far from being an epiphany or anything like that. I can't remember which came first. It was either hearing You're Gonna Miss Me as the opening cut on the film of High Fidelity, the opening minute you see the needle going down on the record and we hear you're going to miss me right at the beginning of the film just as john cusack just as his girlfriend is walking out on him so as either that or when i bought the nuggets box set and heard that song for the first time on cd one of that absolutely fantastic box set nothing it was no great epiphany but i remember being really knocked out by the song at the time but that was yeah that was the first time i remember hearing that song and being familiar with uh, the 13th Floor Elevators. But at the time, I didn't sort of pursue what's the story behind this band, you know, who is this Rocky Erickson fellow. It was just another great song. Huh. Bernie? Uh, I was about 15 years old, um, and uh, I was just coming out of my sort of teenage gothy type phase, which I'm slightly embarrassed about. But a friend of mine, he was really into kind of 60s music, and he started making me these compilation tapes. Hmm. And uh, I remember one track on there was Fire Engine by the 13th Floor Elevators. Uh, and I'd just never heard anything like it. And it was is mainly because of that electric jug sound. It sounds like nothing right, on Earth. Right, right, right. Um, and I just remember being blown away by that. So um, I bought a copy of the uh, the psychedelic sounds of the 13th Elevators. And that was it. That was kind of my way in. And over the 
the years I've you know I've amassed a few other uh, elevators LPs and just through reading around the subject and being a, a music nerd in general <laughs> just you know finding out about Rocky and his issues over the years and uh, you know obviously which is you know that are uh, covered in this film 15 years old and it, as is often the case with uh, music which kind of affects you and affects your life it's uh, it's down to a friend or an older brother or somebody who's uh, clued in and uh, sharing the joy you know so right. uh, that's how I got there nice Tim well Back in the 80s, well, there's still, in Toronto, there was a, there's still a radio station there called Q107. And every Sunday, they used to do what they called the Psychedelic Sundays. Everyone would tune in. You'd be puttering around the house or doing whatever you do, and they'd play all kinds of stuff. And they'd, they'd get into themes and things. And they got into American psychedelia. And I remember hearing one Sunday where they were playing, like, you know, Red Crayola and uh, Sir Douglas Quintet. And mm. then... They, and then they played uh, the Moving Sidewalks, Billy Gibbons' original band. And then they played the 13th Floor Elevators. And like Bernie was saying, you know, about the electric jug, they played Step Inside the House, you know. That, you know, that, that sound was just like, holy shit, what is that? Mm. It's, it's, you know, it wasn't a theremin, but it was, it just had this bizarre sound. It just, you know, and with Rocky's twang, his voice... It just, it just really struck me. And then I, I, you know, I really didn't give it much heed. And then a couple of years later, I was really into, you know, this label Enigma and uh, American label Enigma. And they used to put all these compilations where they'd have TSOL on there and they'd have different bands. Uh, and then uh, a guy knew John Truby was on Enigma and uh, there's a bunch of people that were on there. And then Rocky Erickson, Enigma Pink Dust was the label that put out all of his, his albums from the 80s. Hmm. But then that's where I first heard, you know, Red Temple Prayer, Two-Headed Dog, and Night of the Vampire. And You know his his horror rock that really you know and then and then all of a sudden in the mid eighties I see uh, the movie Return of the Living Dead and then they use his song Burn the Flames yeah and you know at the end of you know, well one part of the film that's a great that's a great scene oh, isn't it oh yeah, yeah it's amazing use that music it's amazing yeah. Because it's not a spoiler, because everybody has seen the everybody must have seen the film by now. But there's a guy who turns into a zombie, and instead of you know kind of uh, giving into eating flesh, what he decides to do is climb into a, a crematorium. So he lays himself down, and he hits the button, and you see him go in, and then it's guy Rocky singing, you know, burn, burn, burn the flames, higher, 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 and higher. You know, it's amazing. It's it's just really cool. So burn. <laughs> so burn. Burn the flames. Higher, 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 and 
but uh, there's all you know. This guy has been so I wouldn't say prolific, but Rocky has had more kind of different. I guess you could put him on a parallel with Bob Dylan in a sense that uh, Dylan went through his kind of uh, I wouldn't call them characters, but his kind of you know phases. If you if you know what I mean, and Rocky's right. the same way. There's the '60s Rocky, and then there's the you know post-hospital Rocky, and then there was like the the horror science fiction Rocky, and now you've got the modern Rocky, you know, with his new band. So well, I mean, he's gone. I, I was going to say, notwithstanding the modern Rocky, I would have said that sounds more like Elvis. <laughs> so you know, the post-hospital <laughs> replace host, post-hospital with post-military, and then you've got you know pre-army Elvis, post-army film Elvis, post-60s. Las Vegas, sure. Elvis. <laughs> so yeah, another, another and, one with multi-phase. And before we uh, before we go on with uh, the film, the one thing I, I want to make a confession too, and this might seem like sacrilege to a lot of people, but I'll take I'll take Rocky over Bob Dylan any day. There's a lot of people who say I'll take so and so over Bob Dylan. I think Bob Dylan's t- you know becoming something of a scratching post. I don't think that's fair. Well, I, no, I, I mean, even... I'm not, I'm not, I like Dylan and I'm not trying to take the piss with Dylan, but what I'm saying is it's just like, there's a lot of times where Dylan, you know, everyone said his lyrics were so profound and that, you know, he, he was right on the pulse of what was going on and blah, 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 blah. But I, I find it a lot of kind of, you know, a lot of toss. But then with Rocky, everybody just thinks, you know, they're kind of, you know, like, Looney lyrics, you know, or the the kind of ravings of a madman. <laughs> but I think he's written some of the most beautiful songs. And Good Night, Sweet Dream, I love that song. You know, it, it just kills me. And I mean, like this guy, when he is on point, I mean, he just can't be touched, you know. And he, even the songs like he wrote, like, you know, Two-Headed Dog, Night of the Vampire, all of his stuff. There's there's not a bad song that I've heard that he's written. You know, they, there's nothing that I've, even, even when he was completely unhinged, there was a sincerity to him. And I mean, yeah, there's a lot of people that might want to throw him in the same boat as Daniel Johnson and, or uh, Wesley Willis, that kind of thing, right? But he's not. I think I think with Rocky, he's an entity unto himself, and I think that there's a real, honest to God sincerity in what he's singing about. When he, you know, when he's singing about, you know, the night of the vampire and don't go out, you know, and you know, there, you know, you're gonna be, you know, you're gonna be bled dry. He really means it. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not just writing. You know, he's not a screaming Jay like you know, shtick kind of guy. He, he's, you know, and I'm, you know, I love Screaming Jay too, but it's just not. I don't know. I don't know how to put it. It's just Rocky is but, really, but the difference sincere. The di- well, the difference between Rocky and someone like Screaming Jay is what Screaming Jay did was knowing shtick, whereas you know Rocky really thought, or at least you know claims in the movie that he really thought that the aliens were out to get him, and so that reflected a lot of those sorts of song lyrics as well. So it, sure. it, with I him, think, it, um, it was never shtick. I think you hit the nail on the head with the word sincerity, Tim, because it's, you know, he may be singing about vampires or aliens, but the emotional content is absolutely there. And as you say, he believes it and that emotion comes right. through. And I, I will take feeling and emotion over, you know, sort of artifice and intelligent intelligence or, uh, you know, yeah. clever lyric writing sure. any day of the week. Sure. Feeling over technique every time, as far as I'm concerned. So, Tim, I'll put and this. He's got it in spades. So, so I was going to say, Tim, I don't know, not necessarily much from 
a lyrical perspective and actually probably in the light of what you guys have just said certainly not from a lyrical perspective because this guy is prone to write inverted commas clever words but musically like you bernie i've got the psychedelic sounds of the 13th floor elevators and that sounds to me a lot like Arthur Lee in Love. Tell me, is, is that crazy or, or can you see a similarity there musically? There's something about sure. that that reminds me of, of uh, Love. I think it was just something that was in the air at the time, wasn't it? That if you were a Possibly. young man in a band. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah. yeah. It was, got, got to say as well, uh, my God, Rocky's voice on those early elevator recordings. Well, he actually, oh. you know, right the way through, but that scream on You're Gonna Miss Me. I mean, tell me he's yeah. one of the greatest rock vocalists of all time. That is just unbelievable. And, it, and it's man. so funny just, because oh. in the film, you know, he, he attributes the big influence to James Brown. Yes. Yeah. And you yeah. can see that with the scream, that wow. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, you can see, you can see it. But, you know, what's really funny is that, you know, like, for example, one of the more popular Elevator songs was, you know, Baby Blue, which Dylan wrote, and then Van Morrison and them covered. But I've always, I've always said that, as far as I'm concerned, the Elevators, that's to me is, you know, that's the definitive cover of the song. Like, that's it. except for the interest in however the last 15 20 years or so that he otherwise might have ended up i don't know would he have ended up as a footnote is that only they didn't necessarily attain the same level of of interest there wasn't like you know a big uh, 13th floor elevators revival like there was a doors revival in the 80s or or something you could maybe put uh, again this is a bit of a lofty statement but you could maybe put them in the same boat as the velvet underground in that uh, famous quote that i think frank black said that you know they might not have been super successful but anybody who heard them was uh, inspired by them oh sure so and, uh, absolutely went out and, started a and you know so was... i'm sure that they were a lot more influential than you know the the mass media or you know the accepted mm -hmm. historical perspective on these things um you know sure was that was actually the case so right i, I was know. gonna say there's it's kind of an interesting parallel too like you know in, in the film you know not to jump ahead but there's a bit where you know they've got rocky you know with the elevators i mean well rocky with his band opening up for the butthole surfers right and i i see the 13th floor elevators kind of being on parallel with the butthole surfers in the sense that you know back in the 60s the elevators were just, you know, going as far as they could go and being as intense as they could, you know, and just barely hanging on the rails and just, you know, like blasting yeah. off into the sun where everybody else was like, holy shit, man. <laughs> like, you know, they, they, these guys are insane. Like they, they went the furthest out there. They're nuts, you know. And then everybody in the 80s when the surfers came around and then they were doing their live shows where... You know, everybody was on LSD and, and there was all these crazy light shows and visuals and it was just a big mess, but they were they were playing, you know, proficiently. Like they were they were just hanging, hanging on the rails and swinging off the rafters, but they were doing it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a real parallel between these two bands because it's like, 
yeah, there's casualties. You know, it's like, you know, the candle that burns at both ends can only burn so long and, you know, it catches up with you and it does. You know? Right. Let's let's talk a little bit about the film itself. In a nutshell, you know, okay, so we know that Rocky was the amazing lead singer for the for the Elevators and for other subsequent bands later on. I can't remember if this is mentioned in the film or just in something that I read on the net. Apparently, Janis Joplin turned down the offer to actually sing for the Elevators. So, you know, their jug player Tommy Hall and. Uh, this was absolutely amazing because you guys sort of you know said you'd had that whoa throwback effect when you actually heard that electric jug sound and i'd heard that album for years that first album but i didn't know what the sound was and watching this film for the first time i think what's he doing what's he oh he's blowing into a jug that's absolutely incredible and he just had that rhythm down pat and it was just absolutely amazing we see a bit of that footage the film does focus more on rocky's story rather than the elevators or any particular band or any of his musical development i mean the, the music's obviously right. part of that story but it's really more what happened to him how he went from moderately you know successful with you know this one big hit single to this guy who comes into his mother's apartment or his own apartment with his mother earlier on in the film and is looking through all the junk mail we see the what's happened here before they sort of go back and fill in some of the details so we see that you know tommy hall the jug player had introduced the rest of the band to lsd and rocky actually liked it quite a lot and in 1968 he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and is sent in and out of hospital institutions and is given electroshock therapy along the way he declares for a while at one part of the film that he's an alien he records albums while in one of the hospitals or he or he plays in a band while he's in i think it was in rusk and in that band yeah, yeah. there were two murderers and a rapist and rocky was there for possession of marijuana right exactly exactly yeah. uh we get these glimpses to his past you know, not always cohesively but enough to put a picture together of his history um, the real focus here is when he's living in the care of his mother and he's like 50 years old at when the film was being made and his mother is not allowing him to have access to his medication that he so obviously needs suspicious of the mistreatment that he's been handed out by medical professionals over the years and we'll certainly come back to this whole uh, mother versus the versus Rocky's brothers side of the story because I know that we've got a lot to say about that but the question I wanted to put to you guys was that irrespective of Rocky's story and the actual circumstances behind what went on in his life how do you think that this documentary actually works as a film did Kevin McAllister actually convey the story well um, or, or actually, I should also say probably credit should be given to uh, the editor, uh, Victor Livingston, who um, also made another film that I know that, uh, Bernie, you're going to bring up in a little while. I'm, I'm not going to steal your thunder. Uh, but, um, <laughs> an another great doco. But um, I really think that, especially in a film like this, this is as much the, the editor's film as it is the director's film because I think that Kevin McAllister came in with a camera and just said, right, I'm just going to shoot whatever happens. And then it was up to you know Victor Livingston to assemble that into some sort of cohesive story and find an angle, which he certainly did. But I want to ask you guys, what did you think of it as a film? Did it convey Rocky's story in a cohesive way? 
how do you think it went? One one part of the film that I kind of, you know, I didn't have a problem with it, but I mean, that I wish that they had done more was, I, I wish there had been more live footage or I wish there had been more kind of performance of Rocky. Or I wish there had been kind of a, not to present any spoilers or anything, but a, an addendum, you know, to kind of right. what happened to Rocky or, you know, because, you know, like I say, no spoilers, he winds up performing again. Hmm. It would have been nice to seen some type of kind of, you know, ending or a bookend like that. It's almost like the Sugar Man film where... You've got a guy who really made his mark at one point in time, and then he, he just became obsolete. Not obsolete, but obscure, I'm sorry. And he just disappeared. And then, you know, you've got the story mainly being about what happened to him in between, and, you know, as well as, you know, the effect that he initially had, how that effect was felt by other people, you know. Because, you know, I, I know there are so many people in Austin who uh, I knew friends who had actually like had people that would go over and deliver groceries to Rocky and, and, and keep them stocked in cigarettes and keep them stocked in soda and they just left them alone and there were there were people like that actually minded Rocky and, and it was kind of like you know like they didn't sit with them they wouldn't bother them they would just kind of show up at the house and say here Rock you know here's a pizza here Here's a six pack of soda. Here's your cigarettes, and he'd be like, "Oh, thanks a lot, man." You know, and then he'd close the door and, and go back and live his life. You know, so that you know, there's that there's that whole aspect that I think that the film really focuses on. Yeah, about the interim. But I I just really wish there had been kind of you know more live footage or more mention of uh, the band, the Elevators. You know, just there was there's little bits and pieces with Tommy Hall and the guys, but mm -hmm. it's it's not it's not enough to me i don't know sticky um i like the structure of the film the way um you kind of start in the present and as you progress through the film it will jump back and fill in little bits of what happened mm -hmm. and you know how rocky got to where he is now you know both musically and with his family and it does build to um there's a point where he's uh they show footage of him reading a poem called uh, i know the hole in the baby's head mm. And then there is, uh, so there was something we were talking about earlier um, with his brother uh, mentioned something as well. And it kind of builds to that point, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And then that kind of, uh, I, I, I don't know, it's, like I say, I like how it's structured. But at the same time, it feels a little, I don't know if manipulative is the right word. But it almost like some sort of reality TV show in that the, uh, not that it resembles the reality TV show at all, but the editing is done in such a way as it kind of leads you in this direction. You get to this point and then it's kind of like, um, I don't know, I don't know what I'm really trying to say here. You know, you get to these points where there's these uh, reality TV shows that are like interventions. You know, have you ever seen yeah. those drug those drug intervention shows, you know, where you see in or hoarders or, yeah, or yeah. hoarders, you know, where the the way people are living these kind of extreme lifestyles and they're they're living in, you know, in filth and squalor and then somebody comes in and says, Hey man, like we're gonna get you out of here. Then do you realize the kind of situation you're in? You know? Yeah, there was there was a lot of the film I think that was kind of reminiscent of that. So I agree with you absolutely, yeah. Bernie, that in a way it was almost it filmed like, you know, like you were kind of anticipating some type of, you know, change or some type of intervention on behalf of Rocky that, you know, it's like they showed the way he was living for so long. And I have to say that 
there was a number of parts in this film that really, really choked me up. That, yeah. that hit me really, really hard. Like, for example, one moment was when, you know, Rocky's sitting in his chair before he's about to sleep. He says, you know, sometimes I just wish I was just somewhere else. Yeah, I, I just wish I was somewhere else, you know. And he's almost crying, like in tears. Yeah, and, he says, and I don't like this place that much, doesn't he? Right. Yeah, he's, that's what yeah. he said. Yeah, I don't like this place that much. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like this place. You know, and you can see that it's it, it pains him. And they the other yeah. part that really choked that choked me up was when his brother goes starts seeing a therapist in order to deal with his own issues. Sumner yeah. Erickson, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, there's a point of where Sumner encourages Rocky to go and see his therapist. So Rocky does. And there's a point of where the therapist is telling Sumner to run around the room and skip like a child and to get Rocky to follow his brother. And they're both doing it and they're both laughing like kids. And it's almost like you're seeing these like, you know, middle-aged men reverting to a childhood that they never had. You're seeing them go around this room and Rocky's laughing and he's having the time of his life and he's enjoying it. And it's almost like he's like I say, he's going back to the womb or reverting back to, you know, a younger day. At least that's what I took from it. And it was really it was really touching to me seeing that because it was really honest, you know, because I mean, most people would be like, you know, you want me to run around the room? What the hell am I paying you for? You know, like, you know, you're a psychiatrist, you know, like, you're a head shrinker, you know, forget it. Yeah. But for him, he's like, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, that sounds fun, you know. And He was already like a, a, a man-child anyway, using the modern vernacular. Right. The fact that he was... Right, 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 absolutely. Yeah, right. But there's that sincerity, there's sincerity in all of it, though that you can see like it's 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 just there's no mistaking it i was gonna say bernie because you went and brought up the issue of you didn't want to use the word manipulative but you were sort of trying to indicate that maybe the film is trying to sort of point the viewer to think one way and i, I sort of I don't know, in my notes i've sort of gone written down here that one thing that impressed me about the film was that in the end i don't think it was that judgmental i think you're right it's not judgmental but it does it, that, like you say, it points you in a certain direction. Oh, oh look, I was, I was going to say that, okay, so from a, just purely from a filmic perspective, this is uh, there's no narration in this film, so they avoid that serious overtone that you'd normally get from a narrator. There's no background music which is dumbing it down for you. It's very much fly on the wall, and for all the fact that ultimately, I guess, we do sympathise more and barracking more for Sumner to get custody of, uh, of Rocky over... Rocky's mother. I think the film does show that Rocky's mother did care for him and she looked after him, not necessarily in the way that Sumner would or maybe anyone else necessarily would have, but he did stay in her care at a time where she could have been just sort of kicking her feet up and doing so. And he was very demanding. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because I think what we, you know, we, we should mention here is that Rocky's mum is obviously a damaged person. Yes. And Rocky's father was obviously a damaged person. Uh, and all his brothers, to a greater or lesser extent, are damaged because of their parents. And now it's not, um, again, this is something we were talking about earlier off the air, but it's but because of who she is and, you know, how she thought and how she reacted to the world. Maybe what she thought was best for Rocky wasn't best for Rocky. So, you know, frankly, they were a messed up family completely. And when you've got a messed up mother looking after a messed up son, it's not necessarily going to be the uh, the best thing for either of them, is it? 
Right. But I, I think you're right in that the filmmaker is not judgmental of the mother. I mean, just watching it, you're kind of siding more with Rocky and Sumner than you are with his mother, Evelyn. But that's because she is obviously messed up as well. Yes. And yes. you look at some of the things she actually put Rocky through, as far as she was concerned. I mean, my God, that film she made about herself and her five... Well, what was it The Five Kings or something like that? There's an awful lot of shots of... Evelyn talking about herself, lots of uh, old uh, sort of Super 8 footage of herself where she seems to be more interested in being filmed than having her kids filmed. Yep. Lots of things with her performing. Um, she cut her own records, apparently. Um, my God, that 13th floor elevator's Rocky Erickson Appreciation Day that seemed to be held in a local church hall where it was basically her on stage singing Rocky songs. Um <laughs> Right. An awful lot of it seemed to be about her, you know, and her looking after Rocky wasn't about looking after Rocky. It was about her looking after Rocky. You've got Sumner, though, like, he really gives his mom a nod because, but you know, he says, yeah, yeah. he says, listen, you know, like, I, I've done a year with Rocky and she did so many years, so I don't, I don't know how she did it. You know, so it's it's just that you know. So he it's he doesn't. It's, it's great. Yeah, that he that doesn't is, hate his mother. Well. He, yeah, yeah, he he doesn't feel any animosity. It's just that kind of you know hard thing. It's it, it's it's a hard hard thing to kind of you know, especially with family, man. I mean, it's like you know when you're you know when you're trying to like for example, you get so many people who wind up you know being cared for by a spouse and they get elderly and then you know they're they're not taking care of their spouse and then the the spouse's uh, family has to fight the the wife or the husband for custody of their own family yeah. member that's different you know that's completely different but when this is like within the family itself you know that's really hard you know going against their mother i mean on, on the stand it's you know and here and here's the thing too that reading reading about what happened with rocky you know and and knowing more about it i mean it's briefly mentioned when when sumner goes up on the stand about why he wants to take care of his brother but rocky almost died from having an abscess in his mouth because all his teeth were riding out in his head and he almost died no she wouldn't she wouldn't let him go and he almost died but because of her own issues, she'd seen she'd seen Rocky being mistreated at the hands of the uh, medical staff and the Rusk and the Austin State Hospital over the years. You know, just electroshock therapy, and she probably thought, "My God, that's all they know how to do is give him lots of drugs to flip him out and." give him electroshock therapy to flip him out i don't trust anyone i don't trust any medical professional she didn't sort of it never occurred to her that there might be other doctors who would have his best interests at heart and look after him properly so I mean, maybe other people who might have been in a less fragile state of mind than she was and we've sort of already gone and agreed that the family is very dysfunctional but yeah. because she was already fragile and she'd already seen this go on, she thought, right, that's it. I'm taking care of him. I'm looking after him my way. No one's going to put any medicine. Yoga is all he needs. And uh, that's, whilst you, you think that's wrong, but you sort of, if you put yourself in her shoes, you think, right, well, I yeah. understand what how you came to that conclusion. Exactly. You can see how, that, that's what I mean. The film isn't judgmental about her. I mean, right. yeah, you can absolutely see why she would think like that, because she is who she is. It's, it's interesting as well, Rocky's son, uh, Jaeger, is it? He says uh, at some point it's not her fear of losing Rocky, it's her fear of losing control. Mm. Uh, and I think that speaks volumes about where her sort of head 
was that, you know? So, well, or is look, that? But that's, but that's, I mean, look, that's his judgment, and he may or may not be true, but or may may not be right. And she wants that. She wants that control, but, yeah, but not because the, not because she feels I need the power, but I no, mean, absolutely. she just feels she needs yeah. she needs him for herself to feel like she has exactly. a, a purpose exactly. in life, but. There's no doubt that yeah. she cared for him. You know, there would be... No, absolutely. I, I don't think there's any evidence that she didn't care for him. So, uh, yeah. Before we started recording, Bernie, you um, made a very good comparison to another dysfunctional family in documentary. Yeah, it's, uh, it's this film reminded me uh, very much, and you guys as well, uh, I'm sure, of the Terry Zwigoff movie Crumb about uh, cartoonist Robert Crumb and his super dysfunctional family brothers uh, and mother very similar movies I, maybe I not quite so much mental illness in Crumb but but that, that was the interesting thing you watched Crumb and like before I went in I sort of thought well this will be a, an interesting story about you know how this guy came to do his cartoons his animation and he seems a little bit off the planet and then you watch it and you realise he's the sanest one in the family absolutely right. frightening <laughs> yeah yeah, absolutely. Right. I was going to actually make a point here. Now, I, I think I spoke about this with Tim last week. That there's a scene early on in the film where Rocky comes back to his apartment and he turns on the TV and he turns on the radio and the stereo and the Casio keyboard all to full blast then says he's going to take a nap and his mother tells the camera one of the few times where some where she's talking directly to the camera she says he'll only wake up when he turns or when she turns all these devices off and this reminded me of a film that tim introduced me to and i'm sure a lot of the ggtmc listenership film called clean shaven and the main character in that is also a schizophrenic who mutilates himself to distract himself from the sounds in his head. Everything that he hears is white noise. Now, I don't know whether Rocky's hearing white noise in his head, but it sounds to me, he's not mutilating himself, but it's possible that he's putting on all these things at once to drown out whatever it is in his head that's, that's torturing him. And he's, he's not cutting himself, but he's putting uh, all these other things on in the water. It just sort of came to mind of, of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can see that. It made me think of, uh, I remember reading an interview with Bob Mould, oh, Mascadu. Yeah. yeah. Obviously not uh, schizophrenic, but uh, apparently he developed really bad tinnitus. The only way he could sleep was uh, turning the TV set up full and just getting the, the kind of white noise, static noise, that would actually drain out the tinnitus and let him get to sleep. Holy moly. So, um, yeah, that's pretty grim. But, is yeah. It, is that why his band is one of the loudest in the world? Well, they, they were. I don't know if they're... <laughs> that's why he has the oh, tinnitus. Sugar was ridiculous. They were ridiculously yeah. loud, but... But no, um, the one thing I was going to say was that, you know, as we've, we've reiterated again and again and again that the family has gone through a, a huge amount of damage and Rocky's been damaged as well as his brothers, as well as his mother. And there's, I th I'm trying to really, correct me if I'm wrong, Bernie, but I think there's a point at the end of, near the end of the film where one of his brothers said Rocky chose to be crazy. Rocky, I don't think uh, it was, uh, I don't think it was his brother. Was it the therapist, maybe? Or maybe or, it might have been one of his ex-wives, something like that. Yeah, somebody, somebody said that was his way out. Yeah. That was his way out. So, I mean, like, coping, it, yeah, yeah. Right, and, you know, and, like, when Tommy Hall introduces, you know, LSD to the elevators, and then, you know, you got the drummer there saying that, you know, he fell right off his stool and the guy was flipping out, like, during a show and didn't even know where his head was at. And Rocky's eating this stuff like Pez. 
Yeah. And, you know, and I mean, like you, you know, and you can almost kind of make a parallel to someone like Sid Barrett, you know? Yeah, no, I thought that more than once, yeah. Right, right. But um, but it really makes you wonder whether, you know, Rocky had, had even at an early age, had just tried to kind of get out of his own mind or kind of, you know, just vacate his own mind. I mean, you know, it, it really There's, makes you wonder. I, I think you're, you're kind of generally nudging towards a, the sort of subject we were talking about earlier with this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll go ahead and say one of his brothers, I mean, no, nothing is you know specifically mentioned but one of his brothers intimates that uh their father may possibly sexually abuse the brothers and nothing more is said of that and that they don't sort of pursue right. that and it's, it's almost and a nothing, throwaway comment right and there's um, nothing that comes out and, and, and explicitly says this in the film absolutely to be absolutely. to be fair, I mean, there's nothing you can see that in interviewing not just Summer, Sumner, Rocky's well, all, all two the, other brothers, brothers. Yeah, all of them are messed up. Well, Don uh, has been a long-term alcoholic, tried to right. kill himself, I believe, as kill well. Himself, right. Uh, Sumner had been through like ten years of intense therapy, right? Uh, and, and Rocky, as you say, Rocky chose, or some, you know, it, it, well, you know whether you choose to go crazy or not, I don't know whether that's even possible, but it would kind of make sense in the situation that he was in, anything to avoid, you know, the reality of, of what he was having to deal with as, as part of that family. I mean, right. again, I should reiterate what you said, Tim, this is all intimated, there isn't any evidence of this, and certainly the film doesn't no. make a case for it one way or another, but it's, it's no. an interesting an well, interesting you, uh, part of the story. I, when I you sit down and watch the film, there are, there are things that kind of, you know, send up a lot of red flags... Yeah. If you're really paying yeah. attention to it, and I, again, as I said earlier, you know, even if there wasn't sexual abuse, there was mental abuse, and there was, uh -huh. I don't know, physical abuse of some kind, and you know, yeah. that is just yeah. as damaging, and just as you know. So, yeah, sorry, Morris, you were about to say something. Then. Yeah, no worries. I, I was, I was going to say that one thing that I like about the way the film presents a lot of these issues. I mean, there's. There are a lot of documentaries that say, right, within this one and a half to two hours, we're going to tell you everything you need to know about the subject's life. You know, there could be a music documentary, it can be about any particular subject under the sun, or, you know, or for that matter, a lot of biopics. And what I like about this is, yeah, there's a lot of stuff missing, but I don't think that they ever pretend to say, we're giving you the full story by, by yeah. necessity, we just have to give you a few interesting points and then you can go away and talk about it with your mates. And that's what I really like about how the film sort of presents his story. I think probably for me, the big problem with it as a film, not as you know, the detail that it's giving, is that it, I found it a little incohesive in terms of time structure. So there was very little indication when certain phases of his life was actually being presented you know like they, they talk about mm -hmm. his time in the rusk institute and his time spent in the austin hospital and then there's they're talking about oh and he got out and he's playing with this band and then he's in the 80s and he's with another band but we don't know that it's the 80s at least i mean you, you can sort of work it out from when you the footage that you see of him and it's not the the you know the handsome figure who you see playing in you're going to miss me on, on uh, television in, back in 1965-1966 but you really don't always get a feel for when things are taking place and I'd say that that is probably uh, my main weakness with the film I mean, not enough so much that I thought I didn't enjoy the film or that 
I, I thought it was a poorly made film. Far from it, but I, I think it is a fairly valid criticism. I like to know when things are taking place. And it doesn't have to necessarily be with a big 1975 thrown on the screen. There could have been some other device. But that was often a frustrating thing for me. As well, they're going backwards and forwards in time. And like even you mentioned uh, that, that trope, Bernie, that they use at the beginning of the film where we're seeing the scene, what's happening well now as they're mm, filming it yeah. in, in the courtroom. And then straight after the opening credit, we see Rocky go into his apartment with his mother. And I'm thinking, oh, did this happen just straight after the verdict or is this before the verdict or or when is it? It's not till like later on in the film where we see what the final verdict is, whether Sumner or his mother is going to get custody of him that we know, ah, oh, right, this is how they've gone. And I really like that trope. But it was sort of diluted a bit by not giving us a sense of uh, uh, chronology. I can understand that. I think it does get a little muddy in places, doesn't it? So, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, I think that is valid. Um, I was going to bring up something that just kind of hit me, and I don't know if if you guys felt the same way, but there's there's one point in the film where Rocky's older brother is sitting with his mom, Mm. and he's calling Sumner to tell him to come and talk about getting yeah. custody of Rocky. Come here like a man. Be a man. Right. Yeah. Come on, man. Face the music. Come on. You know, and he's got it. And he's got this patch on his eye. And right there and then, it th- it made me think in my mind. I thought, holy shit, man. This is like a David Lynch movie. <laughs> <laughs> that scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was like that. a David. Yeah. But I mean, but the whole film, I mean, the way... The way, you know, Rocky's mom and doing her yoga and, and, you know, like all the, just all of it. It just seems like something David Lynch would shoot. Very Twin Peaks. Absolutely. David Lynch's thing has always been the, uh, the, the kind of, you know, the absolute weirdness under the veneer of normality. Right, right. So, right. So, so this is as and much it, a story it, about the, Amer- the American white picket fence. Exactly. It is it's as much of, about the American dream as, as Crumb is about the American dream. Yeah. Like we said right. earlier, it's, you know, there's probably more dysfunctional families like this out there than there are regular families out there, you know? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, this is as valid a slice of America as anything you can think of, I think, you know? And, and the thing and is, like, it's just just because, uh, I guess, you know, Kevin McAllister sort of had this fascination for Rocky Erickson and the 13th floor elevator, so he decided to shoot it about him. But the truth is, you know, and, like, and something like the Nuggets box set plays this out, that there were hundreds and hundreds of bands, and, and we're just talking America here, that yeah, yeah. had regional hits, you know, one or two hits and we never heard from again. But the fact is that if, you know, you sent out a film director to pursue all these bands, there's probably a heap of just as interesting stories. Maybe not the same story, but, you know, heaps yeah. of uh, interesting tales. What happens oh, afterwards? You know, yeah. not not right. all of them decided to, well, I'm just going to go get a day job and become an accountant or, or... Go into real estate, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's really weird is that it's like, you know, when you look at... Uh, for example, like uh, Question Mark and the Mysterians, yep. you know, mm-hmm. people like that, they were actually back together again and touring, you know, and it's just like, holy shit, man, like, that's like 45 years, 50 years, or I mean, or even like a band like the Sonics out now.
Yes, yes. They got a brand new album out. That's crazy. Oh, isn't it? it's amazing, yeah. man. It's yeah. amazing, you know. It is a spoiler, but it's not really a spoiler because, given that probably a lot of the people who are listening to this know that Rocky has been touring around the world the last what four or five years or something like that. He was in Australia Actually, I think, back in two thousand eleven. Yep. 2012, he played Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so it's not that much of a spoiler to say. In the end, he does end up with Sumner. The the judge goes and awards custody to Sumner while acknowledging that his mother had done the best possible job that she could under the circumstances. And yeah, look, I, I guess I agree with you, Tim, that uh, it would have been good to be able to see this. Uh, appendix if nothing else i mean I, we watched this on youtube i'm wondering if on the official dvd release is there like a, a bonus do you know if there's a bonus what has happened since? there isn't actually i've got the uh the dvd let me just grab the case there's um there's footage from uh, i think a 2007 concert okay well rocky's emancipation hearing from 2007 because as i understand it you guys may know better than me but i believe he's no longer with sumner I think he was only oh. with Sumner for a while, and I believe his he son. went off his meds. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but because of the uh, psychiatrist or whoever whose care he was under, he was actually doing better off his meds. Right. Than yeah. He had been on them and, and previously, and I think that was around the period where he started uh, performing and recording again. He did an LP with was it Ockerville River? Right. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, and then as yeah, you said, yeah. he's been touring again. So I believe. His son's been taking care of him now. Okay. I think, yeah, because I think his son actually has been playing with him as well. Right. I, I saw some footage on uh, YouTube of uh, a concert that he did. I, can't, I think it might have been in Germany. And he was with this band. I think they were called the Explosives or something like that. And um, no pun intended, but they were dynamite. They were just <laughs> absolutely full of energy and you know this was not a guy who was just like trying to relive his 15 minutes of glory he showed that he truly musically had something fresh to offer he had a great group of musicians who i don't know if they had been specifically picked for him or he just happened to hitch his star into their wagon or whatever but they were absolutely fantastic and this sort of makes me think in a way of another damaged soul and uh, a documentary and that was uh, when did I see this? In the mid-2000s or something like that. The film was, I just wasn't made for these times. It was a, a, the documentary about Brian Wilson. And he ended up working with Wondermint, who were already like an existing yes, uh, yeah. band. Yeah. And a very, very different very different sort of uh, music style, I guess, to what you know Rocky Erickson was doing. But the same thing, they found a group of sympathetic musicians. And didn't Arthur Lee end up with a group called Baby Lemonade. Which I, was, sort of, I was just going to mention that, Morris, Arthur Lee and Baby Lemonade. They actually played in Bath, of all places. Oh, right. Did you yeah, go? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. I think that was only a couple of years before he died. Wow. So, um, yeah, yeah, that was fantastic, yeah. So, But it just sort of went to show that, anyway, that he had still something to offer. I mean, even more so in a way, and God knows I love Brian Wilson, I love the Beach Boys, but it seems like, and even though Brian has been uh, still, you know, making albums of new material, but by and large, he's still sort of resting on his legacy, which, you know, nothing wrong because it's an incredible legacy. But it looks to me like from what I saw on YouTube that, you know, Rocky onward and forward, uh, I've got something new to offer you. 
He's not mm. sort of like trying to say, oh, you remember me from the 13th floor elevators? Right, well, okay, well, here's those sounds. I mean, no, he's going ahead and doing something new and it sounds relevant and it sounds like that, you know, without wanting to show my age, he's telling the young kids, this is how it's done. We were saying earlier about the Sonics, you know, I mean, that album coming out, I've just heard it again and again and again, where it's just like, you know, everybody's saying, what the hell's wrong with the kids today that they can't keep up the beat like this? You know, these guys are <laughs> 65, yeah. 70 years old. What the hell's yeah. the problem today, you know? And I mean, Still Rocky's the us. same. I mean, Rocky Rocky is Rocky doing what he's doing, you know? And it's just... But it's nice that uh, Rocky's story, Rocky himself, you know, it seems to be a, a happy ending. Right. I mean, the film itself, the ending is it's a little ambiguous. You feel that he's in a better place and he seems a little better. And that's that's right. okay. Because that's actually that's actually okay. I sort of think that if he'd been filming for another couple of years and he sort of came and said, "Look, he's on stage. He's and we could go yeah. away and smile." I like the fact that the film ends at the point where they say, "Look, he's been through hell. He's had all these awkward circumstances, and now here he is." at a stage where he has the potential to do better. You, the yeah. audience, after yeah. watching this film, keep an eye and see what happens. And we know what happens after the film, but I think, actually, I like the fact that it ends where it does. It's, well, let's see what happens. We're not, we don't need to give you the happily ever after ending. We're giving, by the fact that he's now with his brother, that's already potentially happily ever after. And I, I think that's a good yeah. thing. So any, any final thoughts? Well, you know, I was gonna say, the one thing that I really love about this film is that you know it's really strange but at no point in the film does rocky ever display any kind of uh, kind of anger or, or or kind of uh hostility or just attitude i mean like he always just seems like okay yeah yeah, well, yeah, yeah. he's pretty passive Whatever. isn't he yeah right he, he, totally and i mean you know it, it's just insane where you know a lot of times with musicians or artists you know they they get, you know, uh, they disappear up their own arse and, you know, they, you know, they wind up sniffing their own farts and just getting so uh, wrapped up in their own trip where Rocky's just kind of like, like, for example, there's the bit where in the film when uh, he's going to go out with the band when he's opening up for the surfers and he's not into it. He doesn't want to do it. Mm. He looks totally and bewildered, he, doesn't he? That's quite yeah, a and he's just painful scene yeah, Right, and he's just like, yeah. I can't do it. I'm, I'm not into it. I just can't do it. I don't want to do it, you know? And, I mean, he could have went out there and went, yeah, I'm Rocky Erickson, man. Like, I am the Lizard King. Eh, you know, like, you know, he, you know, he could have he gone out there and done that, but he didn't. He was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not me. It's just, you know, and you have to admire that in the man. He wasn't doing it to be an asshole. He, he was doing it because it, it was just wasn't in him anymore. You know? Yeah. Bernie, final thoughts? I, I think it's a great film. I uh, I really like it. Watch it. I haven't watched it for, I've had it for a few years and I've not seen it uh, since I first bought it. And it, yeah, it's it's a very good film. It's emotionally affecting and it's it's worth the watch. I think everyone should check it out. Definitely. Yeah, I'm completely with you on that. And it's it's emotionally affecting because the story itself speaks for itself. I yes. don't think that there's I don't think yeah. there's any. No, it's not, not an emotionally manipulative. Yeah. Let me say that again. Emotionally <laughs> manipulative film. Thank yes. you. Despite what I said earlier, maybe the filmmaking itself is uh, well. 
yeah, there's no, you know, we talked about that earlier. But um, yeah, it's not emotionally manipulative, and it's it's a hopeful story, and yeah. it's is you know, it's an emotional, touching experience watching. Well, it. when you when you first see it and you see the situation in Iraqi, you think there's no way nobody's coming back from that. Mm. Yeah, like, that there's first no scene way. Where I know, oh, yeah. going to his apartment. I mean, you can just smell it in there, can you? It's right, piled right. with crap. He's got that huge, big, clump dreadlock in his hair where he's obviously not washed for the last 10 years. Right. And it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 quite uh, distressing, isn't it? Yeah. The fact that he gets, well, as, as you were just saying, Tim, sorry, I'm stealing your, your no, no. here. No, no, it's all right. But it's just what really gets me about this whole thing is that you know, like I was saying earlier about how the man just wrote some of the most beautiful songs that I've ever heard. And I mean, you know, just sheer magic. And, and to see him, you know, like living in squalor or to see, you know, like just this diamond in the rough, it, you know, was, it, like you say, it's, it's distressing. And, and, you know, and in the end, isn't it? it is. It is. And then ultimately, in the end, you know, to see him trying to come, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of that. Um, was that film with Robin Williams and uh, Robert De Niro? The uh, Awakenings? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that where, you know, it's like this guy is kind of, you know, in this kind of, you know, fugue state for a long time. And then all of a sudden, he's just able to kind of, you know, just come back to life, you know. All right. Well, on that emotional note, I didn't think we'd ever be able to bring Robin Williams into this, but that's a very good <laughs> comparison. Um, we've come to uh, pretty much the end of episode 16 of C here, and I really must say that I think this is a, a really wonderful conversation. I've, I've enjoyed it immensely. So next month will be uh, episode 17, and Bernie, it's your choice for, uh, for next month, so hit it to us. Uh, suck it to you. I'm going to suck it to you. Suck it to me. Suck it to me. Suck. I'm getting all Dan Rowan and, sweet and Rowan yeah, and Martin yeah. laughing here. So. <laughs> well, the last couple of shows, we have done documentaries. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking uh, maybe we could do something a little different. It's a horror film. I will read you the uh, the synopsis on IMDb. Demons hypnotize the general public by posing as a rock and roll band. Uh, it is 1988's Black Roses. Oh, nice. Um, I don't know this one. <laughs> I, I'm aware of it. I've nev never seen it, though. This will be a first-time watch for me as well. So um, hopefully uh -oh. we're going to have some Tim's fun laughing. with this one. Tim's laughing evilly in the background. Oh, no. Is, oh, is that a good or a bad laugh, Tim? <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's just say that, you know, um, if it was a food, uh, we we could appreciate the, the fine uh, fromage. <laughs> you know, there is a there is a an eloquent eloquent bouquet wafting <laughs> wafting from the uh yeah it's it's a great it's a fun film yeah yeah okay do you know uh, yeah I, I think we need a dose of that i think we've done some sure. uh, serious movies and uh, i think right uh, right right not to say that they haven't been fun but uh we need some cheesy goofy ass rock and roll action uh, and i sure. think uh, well, this might provide it yeah i look immensely forward to uh having a view of that and chatting and hopefully our beloved wendy will be back with us next month to uh discuss this film on see here episode 17 if you've been enjoying the show please write into us if you haven't been enjoying the show please write into us uh, but just keep listening. Let your friends know that we exist. Uh, you can find us at seehere.com. 
podbean.com or you can look for C here, that's S-W-H-E-A-R, C here podcast on iTunes. You can email us at podcast at gmail.com and come up with some further suggestions or join the Facebook group. We'd love to have uh, your input into uh, this little community that we have. And it is a little community, but, you know, we're always willing to uh, chat with anyone who wants to uh, talk about music-related film. And I think that's pretty much covered all the housekeeping stuff over there. So, um, Bernie, Tim, I bid you a well, fond farewell. It's been a wonderful yeah. uh uh, it's evening. been a pleasure, absolutely. And thanks Always. to James for uh, suggesting this movie. We had yeah, um, thank you, James. That was a good was call. A, thanks, James. Yes, absolutely. Thanks to watch it again. Yeah, and, right. Thanks, well, you know, we always encourage people to uh, please join our community, as Morris says, and you know, give us a listen because, as they say, you know, it's only because of you that makes it big, right? So there you go. That's right. So we'll uh, see you next month. And until then, please listen to a lot of music, watch a lot of great movies, and just generally be nice to each other. Okay, cheers. Cheers. Night. Bye. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.